everyone, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. Before we get started today, we want you all to know that the second episode of The Grim Curriculum Extra Credit is out now on all of our regular platforms. Yes, and in case you missed it, Extra Credit is our more like casual show where we either chat with each other about true crime or other strange stuff or just stuff that we don't have time to talk about on this show or even just like off-topic stuff. Yeah, exactly. A lot less script and a whole lot more just Charlotte, Dina, banter. We're also interviewing a ton of fantastic people for the show, including the wonderful Tracy, who joined us for our debut episode. And if you haven't listened to our Haunted Dolls interview with her yet, we highly suggest checking it out after this because it's awesome. Yeah, okay, so all that being said, it is time to get into today's topic. Yes, so okay, this is one that I had never heard about before until Charlotte brought it to my attention. Kate, when you told me this story, I'm pretty sure I kind of just like sat there with my jaw dropped because this is unreal and honestly, I don't want to give anything away, so I'm going to stop here because you you just have to hear it. <laughs> it's It's a wild one for sure and it really captured my attention and kind of my heart when I first heard of it for a reason I'll probably mention a little bit later. It's a situation that no one could have predicted and in some ways not even the perpetrators really predicted how it was going to go. Today we will be talking about the 1976 Chowchilla school bus kidnapping. Summing this story up in just a few sentences is almost impossible because there is no way of saying this without it sounding completely made up. All of this sounds like something out of a movie. On July 15, 1976, three rich fellas with more money than brains decided it would be fun to kidnap a school bus filled with 26 children and one driver at gunpoint. They drove their victims around for 11 hours in two separate vans and kept them blindfolded the entire time. They then forced them to go into a boxed trailer that they had outfitted with mattresses. And they buried them alive and called in to demand $5 million for their safe return. Luckily, these three buffoons were tuckered out from their long day and fell asleep. When they woke up, everyone was gone. This is a story of sheer stupidity and total lack of understanding of how things actually work in the real world. It's hard to believe, and it's kind of easy to laugh at. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you leave it just at that, it sounds so outlandish that it's just hard to believe. It's creative, I guess, if nothing else. It's like, I feel like these, well, we'll get into them a little bit more, but these three idiots um, had been watching too many, like, action movies or heist movies or something. Yeah, in an interview, someone compared this to a British comedy because of all of the things that went wrong. Yeah, that's so true. So that being said, what these men did affected the 27 people that they kidnapped in a huge, huge way. And many of them are still suffering the after effects of their trauma right now. Okay, everyone. So let's get right into the 1976 Chowchilla School bus kidnapping. Buckle up. 55-year-old Edward Ray was driving a school bus full of children back from a field trip. They had all spent the day swimming at the fairgrounds. The kids were tired but happy, and the day had overall been a pretty good one. It was the middle of July, and they were driving along a quiet country road in Madeira County. At 4 p.m., their lives would change forever. To me, this is like the quintessential perfect summer day, like especially for a kid. 
because you you just spent the day swimming with your friends you're exhausted you're riding home on the bus life is good and then these idiots show up oh yeah like summer pool or lake days with your friends were the freaking best days you'd be you know like once you'd been swimming all day you'd be hungry you'd be tired and then it would be like dinner time and it would just oh the dream honestly really like it's it's terrible and it was complete and yeah just completely ruined by these three buckos <laughs> speaking of three men stopped the bus at gunpoint they would later report that all three of them had pantyhose pulled over their faces as a disguise and that one carried a gun while two others had sawed off shotguns Edward initially thought that the stopped vehicle meant that someone was having car trouble, so he slowed the bus down to ask if they needed help. Everyone was forced off the bus and blindfolded. They were actually made to jump from the bus into the van so that they didn't leave any footprints. And we just want to reiterate that this is a whole bus full of children. They were between 5 and 14 years old, and at this point they were rightfully terrified. Many began to cry and beg for their parents. This garnered absolutely no sympathy from their captors. They were placed into two separate darkened vans. The bus would later be found covered with brush and abandoned in a drainage ditch. Once they had all of their hostages in the vans, they drove them around for 11 hours in the sweltering heat. They were not provided with food, water, or bathroom breaks. They drove like this for a total of 100 kilometers. And can I just say, um, actually, a couple of things. One, when I first heard this story and heard that they had driven for 11 hours, initially I thought 11 hours away from the scene of the crime kind of thing. I was like, oh my god, they would they could have been thousands of miles, or not miles, but kilometers away. And then you find out that they were just driven around basically in circles for 11 mm -hmm. hours so that they would be disorientated, disorientated, disoriented and wouldn't know where they were. It's diabolical. And then it's so hot. Like, remember that this is California in July. I looked it up because I was curious. On that particular day, there was a high of 94 degrees Fahrenheit or 34 degrees Celsius. Oh, my God. And these kids would have been kidnapped at 4 p.m., like more or less at the end of their day, they would have been starving, exhausted, and scared shitless. The sheer terror of all of this must have been awful. And at this point, they have no idea who these men are or what's going to happen to them. And I mean, Edward Ray at this point, the poor guy, he's just trying his best to comfort the kids because like, what else do you do? Do you tell them everything's going to be fine? Do you prepare for the worst? Like this whole thing is a total nightmare. And not that they knew this, but they were taken to a rock quarry. And we're going to get into who owned that quarry a little bit later. Yeah, because this story, if you guys hadn't kind of figured it out already, it's going to rile some of you up. It's riling me up, and I'm familiar with it, so... They began to remove the children and Edward Ray one by one without a word. Jody Heffington, who was only 10 years old during the kidnapping, described the incident in an interview. They'd take the next kid out, and they would close the doors. But when they open the doors, you don't see them. I thought they were basically killing us one at a time. This is a 10-year-old kid. Let that sink in for a second. She also said, It's a hard thing to explain because i never been around guns. You only seen bad guys in the movies with stockings on, you know, so I knew it wasn't good. 
The hostages were put into a box truck trailer, closed in, and then buried 12 feet underground. I, I think it's safe to say that being buried alive is on the top list of fears for pretty well everybody. Oh, totally. I mean, like, I'm not even claustrophobic or anything. And to me, that is not one of the preferred ways to go. Oh, exactly. Sure. I'm looking around my little recording blanket fort that I've built. And oh, I'm, totally. you know, I'm like, I don't want to be buried in this. That would be terrible. Mm-hmm. All of this is honestly just pure evil and i don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves but when you find out why they did this you're gonna want to set whatever device you're using to listen right now on fire and you're gonna want to throw it out your window it's it's aggravating the thing to remember here too is that this 11 hours that they've all been crammed into this van it's completely blacked out they can't see anything they have no idea where they're going, where they're at, and they don't know what their captors are going to do with them. In an interview years later, the survivors would talk about how they each thought they were going to be killed as they were led out of the van and into the truck box. They also talk about being relieved when they were first put in the box because they realized that they were still alive, but that dread kicked back in very quickly when they realized the gravity of the situation they were in. Edward Ray was quoted in an interview as saying, There was a lot of crying and begging for Mama. They kept hollering and saying, Why did they do this to us? I'd like to know too. They remained buried for 16 hours. So about that, they were driven around for 11 hours and buried for 16. And when I first read that, I really wanted to believe I was somehow reading it wrong and that the total amount of time was 16 hours. But they were buried alive for 16 hours in the dark with nothing but a few mattresses, a loaf of bread, cereal, and some peanut butter. And some of you uh, might also be wondering... For toilets, their captors had just cut holes in the top of a couple of boxes that were in the truck with them. So, you know, 27 people, some of them little kids who are scared. Oh, not to mention, they might have heat exhaustion or heat stroke, you know? This is disgusting. It's awful. Michael Marshall, who was 14 at the time, described this in a really heartbreaking way. He said, It would be silent, and then someone would bust out crying, and the hole would just erupt. Everyone's crying. Larry Park, who was among the younger children, later spoke in an interview about how during this time, he was thinking about how it was going to feel to die. This is an elementary school-aged little child. You hope that they don't even fully grasp the concept of death at that age, you know, to... To be faced with what it's going to feel like at that age? Oh my god. It's, I, one of the interviews, without getting too far ahead of it, but one of the interviews with the parents of one of the kids, she said how initially she really hoped that they had sedated everybody because that would have been bad. That wouldn't have been good if they had sedated them, but at least they wouldn't remember it. But unfortunately, as we'll find out, that isn't going to be the case. When their parents began to return home from work, they were shocked to see that their kids weren't already there. The parents reported that their children were missing. When they realized that all of them were gone, many of them teamed up with the police and began to search the path that the bus would have gone on for clues. Eventually, the FBI was called and 30 agents arrived to help. 
back at the quarry, their kidnappers hadn't done the best job building the enclosure. Edward Ray quickly realized that the roof started to look like it was going to cave in. He decided that they had no choice but to take action. Either the kidnappers would return and they would potentially hurt him and the children, or the roof would fall in and bury them all alive. That is, if they didn't suffocate or die of heat stroke first. The only option was to escape. A survivor of the kidnapping, Jennifer Hyde, noticed the instant change in Edward. Edward kept telling his kids, just be quiet, sit down, do what they say. Edward was speaking in a harsh tone, and that normally was not the Edward that we knew and loved. By this point, you might be wondering what happened to their kidnappers. Well, dear listeners, this is where the story gets even wilder. Yep. So, once the three men had imprisoned their hostages, they phoned the Chowchilla Police Department and they demanded a $5 million ransom for the safe return of Edward Ray and the kids. But the phone lines were completely tied up. Because, like we said, the parents of the 26 children that they kidnapped were calling the police in droves to report that their kids had been taken. They continued to try calling. This frustrated the bumbling trio, and eventually they decided they would just try again later. But time passed, and they got tired and fell asleep. Well, I mean, to be fair, Dina, they had a pretty busy day filled with kidnapping innocent people and children and burying them underground. Like, surely that tuckers a person out. Absolutely. They were sweepy. Meanwhile, Edward Ray and some of the older children began to come up with a plan to break out. It had been 12 hours at this point. The roof was caving in and they had eaten whatever little food they had. They stacked the mattresses as high as they could and attempted to lift the manhole cover that had been placed over the entrance of the truck. A manhole cover can weigh 250 pounds or more just by itself, which would have been a huge task for someone in good shape to lift from the outside. Now, imagine you're trying to lift it from underneath, you're suffering from heat exhaustion and the sheer terror of death. The the fact that they were able to shift it at all is amazing. Oh, every single person in this story is an absolute hero in my eyes, and I'm sure your eyes too. 100%. The bravery of Mr. Edward Ray and the children is honestly just unreal. They took turns and they worked together. Some of the kids would even stand on each other's shoulders so that they could reach as high as they could so they could help move the manhole cover. It would be Michael Marshall, who, if you remember, was 14 years old. He would be the one finally able to move it. They had been trying for hours at this point. Once again, their relief turned to dread when they realized that the kidnappers had put two 100-pound batteries on top of the manhole cover, covered it in dirt, and then constructed a wooden box around it. They were able to use some wood that they had found as a wedge and were eventually able to move the batteries. And they then began to dig. Michael Marshall dug past the point of exhaustion. He was determined to get out. They talk about this in an interview years later, and they say that this entire time they fully expected the men to be waiting for them once they got out, like guns drawn, ready to kill them. Instead, they saw nobody. At this point, it was 8 p.m. on July 16th. They had spent a total of 16 hours buried underground. Jennifer Brown Hyde described what happened next in an interview. 
we all just scurried like a bunch of little mice. We saw conveyor belts and excavators. It looked like the Flintstones. And these men with hard hats came on to us and looked at us like, who are you? Something important to note is by this point, they've been missing for a total of 27 hours. This is all over the news and the investigation, which we're going to get to later, was already underway. Can you imagine you're on a job site, it's 8 p.m., and suddenly you have a bunch of children and their school bus driver who had been buried underground coming at you? I think I read somewhere or I heard somewhere that the guy that saw them, the first man that noticed all these children and a bus driver just walking across, apparently he was like, the whole world has been looking for you. Wow, can you imagine that moment? Bonkers. These poor kids and poor Edward, none of this should have happened and that's why this makes me so mad, but let's get back into it. So the police were called, obviously, immediately, and the children were taken away on another bus. That's something that the kids talk about in the interviews is how they were like, oh, they're putting us on another bus. Great. Yeah. But this time it took them to jail. They were taken to jail. Yeah, um, which sounds really harsh. They were not arresting them or anything. Yeah, they were not arrested. No, it was just the closest safe place for them to go where it could like hold all of them. They were brought into some classrooms and were given apples and pops while the police got in touch with their families. The photos of this are really something else because it's a bunch of kids and many of them are wearing clothes that are very clearly prison issued and they're way too big for them. Well, each child, as well as Edward Ray, was interrogated by the police. They were questioned separately and asked to tell the story of what happened in their own words. This took hours, and eventually they were put onto another bus, this time a Greyhound, and they were driven back to Chowchilla. Police had confirmed that the children were safe, and the next priority was finding out who had done this to them. And this is another time where the press made absolute asses out of themselves once the kids got off the greyhound they were absolutely hounded by flashing lights news cameras and had microphones shoved in their faces michael marshall had this to say about the entire experience we pulled up to chowchilla and i was asleep so when i got off the bus everybody started taking pictures of me and saying hi mike how you doing what was the pit like What kind of stupid ignorance is this? These kids just want to see their parents and go home and try not to be traumatized, but instead they're blinded by cameras. They're being asked questions about something that they probably even haven't had time themselves to come close to processing. I understand that reporters have a very important job to do because it's important for people to know the news, but can we have some fucking tact, please? These are babies. This is like some TMZ level shit. Yes, yeah, it is. It's disgusting. I hate it. Larry Park, who was only six years old, remembered being carried off the bus by a man and placed into his mother's arms. He simply said, hi, mom, and fell asleep on her. He explained that he finally knew in that moment that he was safe. Oh, my God, my heart. I know. You can see when you watch these interviews how much pain that this all caused them. Even years later, it is truly heartbreaking. 
Everyone was so relieved that they had all come home safe. The entire town of Chowchilla and the country wanted to know who could do such a terrible thing. So investigators searched both the rock quarry as well as the truck box that they were buried in for clues. They quickly realized that whoever had access to the container had to have the keys to the quarry itself. So they began to look at the 24-year-old son of the man who owned the quarry, a gem of a human named Frederick Newhall Woods IV. They then looked at surveillance tapes and it all started to come together. Security guards were able to confirm that months prior to the kidnapping, they saw three young men digging a large hole in the quarry and that one of them was indeed Fred Woods. When they looked into him further, they confirmed that, yep, he was from an incredibly rich family, but that he also had a criminal record. Fred Woods had been charged with Grand Theft Auto. Along with two of his best pals, James Schoenfeld and his brother Richard. All three of them came from very wealthy families and enjoyed the finest things in life. Seriously, trust fund babies, they all lived in giant mansions in San Francisco. These guys are the absolute epitome of privilege. And with that came very little consequences for them in the past. The result of them engaging in some in-real-life GTA was a fine and some probation. The police quickly got a warrant to search the estate of Fred's father, and when they did, they found everything that they needed along with a document that they had simply labeled with one word, guys. Guess, guess the word. What, what is the word, Charlotte? Plan. Oh my god. Like, you guys, you Looney Tune motherfuckers, <laughs> what is this? Oh my goodness. So in the plan document, these brilliant young men laid out exactly how they were going to do the kidnapping, and how they could get as much money as possible. It literally even included a list of things that could go wrong and how they could deal with it. So they had accounted for every single possibility. Criminal masterminds. They also found one of the guns that they had used. And the rough draft of a ransom note. It starts with the words, Your bus has been kidnapped. I've heard that a lot of the time people who write ransom notes and stuff will use poor grammar and spelling because it can make it more difficult to figure out who wrote it. But I also just choose to believe that they didn't know the difference between your and your because the grammar here, friends, it's wrong. Yeah, no, it is completely wrong. It is you are bus has been kidnapped. All your pylons belong to us. Your bus (laughs) has been kidnapped. Idiots. (sighs) Sorry, guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it down a little more. Okay. No, bring it back up, Charlotte. <laughs> Take it away. So they found a ton of other evidence, but the three men were nowhere to be found. They were long gone. Arrest warrants were immediately issued. Richard Schoenfeld turned himself in eight days after the kidnapping. James and Fred took off, but they would be caught soon after. Harold Dow of CBS News reported on this saying... James Schoenfeld was captured at dawn today. Police say he ran hard all over the western United States, but he did not run well. Frederick Woods was arrested by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police this afternoon, just across the Washington state border in Vancouver. All three pled guilty to the kidnapping charges and were sentenced to life in prison. 
But that isn't even close to the end of our story. No, not at all, because all three of these men are now out of prison. Yep. The possibility of parole was introduced only four years after their life sentence was given. And the reason for that was because they did plead guilty to the 27 counts of kidnapping, but they refused to plead guilty to the counts of bodily harm that would completely remove any possible chance of parole. Because of this, 16 months after the incident, Jennifer, Michael, and some of the other kids had to face their captors in court. They testified about the emotional trauma that they had experienced while the defense tried to shut down the idea that they had been physically hurt, which, again, guys, how do you, like, live with yourself? I know it's your job as a lawyer to defend someone. I'm not saying that you're a bad person because of that, but this is kids. You know what trauma does to someone. Never mind a child. Well, and I'm sure Mr. Edward Ray was also pretty freaking terrified and traumatized by the entire thing, too. I don't know, man. Sometimes I don't understand human beings. And one of the things that they used as evidence of this, or they tried to use as evidence of this, was that first bit of interviews with the kids. Mm-hmm. Where they're completely shell-shocked and they're just like, yeah, we're good, we're good. They're, they're just so focused on getting to their parents. And they used those interviews and they were like, see, they're fine. You can't tell someone what they're going through on the inside. They're probably feeling pretty happy in that particular moment that they're just somewhere safe and that they've been returned to their families, right? Like, it's all in perspective. Absolutely. Like, And I mean, at the end of the day, this would be difficult for an adult to process. These yes. are kids. And the biggest question here on everyone's minds was why? Why would anyone do something like this? Well, despite the fact that all three of these idiots were quite wealthy people, they had accumulated a serious amount of debt due to a housing deal that they had lost and needed to come up with some cash. The best way to do it? Well, Fred Woods talked about it during one of his very many parole hearings. We needed multiple victims to get multiple millions, and we picked children because children are precious. The state would be willing to pay ransom for them, and they don't fight back. It was thought that Fred was the mastermind behind the whole thing and that the brothers were just along for the ride, so to speak. And Fred really didn't help his case at all. Many of the prosecutors and investigators labeled him a sociopath due to his lack of empathy regarding the entire situation. They talked about the whole thing later in some interviews, and the entire thing began as the idea for a screenplay about the perfect crime. The idea was to kidnap the kids, collect a huge ransom, and then release them 24 hours later unharmed. They thought it would be, quote-unquote, easy money. And something I want to point out is they asked for $5 million, and they said it was a large amount of debt. It was thirty grand. You know, there's probably quicker criminal ways to make 30k, guys. <sighs> oh Just saying, if you feel like criminal activity is the way to go for you. So if they just wanted easy money and they figured they were going to kidnap, why did they have to bury them underground? Essentially, it was sheer laziness. They, of course it was. Yeah, of course, of course. It adds up. They originally <laughs> wanted to hold them in this big barn that was on another piece of property that their parents owned. But they realized that reinforcing it and protecting it would be too much work. So... Yeah, it just wasn't worth it. So they buried them underground. Mm. 
A statement made by one of the brothers really shows how naive they really were. The state pays the ransom. We're happy forever. All of our troubles are solved. We let the victims go. Everybody's happy. They either failed to think about the fact that the trauma of all of this would probably have lifelong effects, or they just didn't care, but that's exactly what would happen. Well, did they think that just because they released the victims of this kidnapping that, like, everything would be fine? It's like, oh, we gave them back, so no hard feelings, right? What was the plan? I guess they were going to have so much money that they could just relocate somewhere else on the planet, I guess. The whole, like, everybody's happy thing, they're they're just focusing on the parents being happy that their kids are back, but maybe just don't take the kids, fellas. A lot of attempts were made to ensure that the kids could move past this. A huge trip was planned to Disneyland for them and Edward Ray, and they had a wonderful time. However, once they got home, reality quickly sunk in again. The trauma was obviously there. How could it not be? Linda Carejo Labandaria, who was only 10 years old when the kidnapping happened, reported flashbacks whenever she saw vans similar to the ones that they were driven around in. She would end up speaking to the parole board on numerous occasions about her memory of being buried and the flashlight going out, the candles flickering, and then total darkness. Many of them developed severe insomnia due to the terrible nightmares that they had. Edward Ray was actually gifted the school bus and was hailed a hero across the country, and I would argue probably the world. Of course. He absolutely hated this for the record. He was a pretty simple guy, and the extra attention, it made him really, really uncomfortable due to the fact that he was just private. So, a humble hero. Like, what a good person. Like, truly, truly a good person. I'm glad that one of the adults in this story is good, at least. Yes, me too, because I feel it could have gone differently, and you never know how you're going to behave in a situation until you're in that situation, but I would say he did the damn best he could with what he had at the time. He absolutely did. He is 100% a hero. He passed away in 2012 at the ripe old age of 91, so it makes me very happy to see that he did live a pretty good long life after this. And he was celebrated, he was loved, and the entire town just continued to praise him. A lot of the kids stayed in contact with him over the years too, which makes my heart very happy. Me too, I like that. Mm-hmm. They, they honestly like you could tell that he cared about those kids even before all of this happened he was kind to them he was good to them he was just i think i just need to cling on to the fact that there is some positivity in all of this and it is edward ray back to terrible <laughs> yeah back to terrible a little bit here so the same year that mr ray passed away in 2012 richard schoenfeld was paroled he was one of the brothers at the age of 57 so His brother James was paroled in 2015 at the age of 63. That same year, Chowchilla City officials renamed a popular park after Edward Ray. Their turnout was huge, and people were more than happy to continue celebrating his heroism even after his death. The same year, a lawsuit was settled against the kidnappers. The money came from Fred Wood's trust fund. The full amount was not disclosed, but someone did say that they received enough to pay for therapy, but not enough to pay for a house. Which is not enough. No, absolutely not. For lifelong trauma? Mm -mm. Mm Mm-mm. Fred Woods was paroled last year at the age of 70. They really didn't want to release him from the looks of it. 
He applied for parole 18 times before he was finally released. Well, he didn't exactly stay out of trouble because his parole was rejected numerous times due to the fact that he continued to do incredibly shady things for money. He reportedly used a smuggled cell phone to offer advice on a gold mining business, Christmas tree farms, and even a car dealership. He claimed that he did these things in order to benefit his trust fund and that the kidnapping happened because he didn't need the money. He simply wanted it. Well, newsflash, idiot. That's not better. No, right? He's just like, well, I wanted to have more money. Like, I didn't need it. I had plenty. And I, and I think that's like a status thing for him. He's saying like, I wasn't poor. I just wanted the money. And I believe that because he also made a comment about how he was jealous about his friends having his and hers Ferraris. <laughs> okay, dude. Uh, you're in prison, so like maybe bring it down a little bit. Well, unfortunately, he's not in prison anymore, prison anymore but uh, that makes me sad. It makes me sad for the kids mm-hmm. that were involved, honestly. So at the end of it all, they really had no choice but to eventually release him because he hadn't actually murdered anyone. Fred Woods now claims he has empathy for the victims. Larry Park is actually one of the people who supports his release. He said that he felt Fred Woods served enough time, but he was concerned about the addiction he had to money. The kidnapping affected Larry for the rest of his life. That, along with other trauma that he unfortunately faced, led to a drug addiction that he is now 12 years sober from. When asked how he felt about Fred Woods getting out of prison, he said... I have peace today. Fred Woods is getting out of prison. Praise God, 46 years is long enough. He also wrote a book called The Chow Chilla Kidnapping. Why me? About this, he said, I say it in the opening pages of my book. When I give my acknowledgments, I give thanks of those three men because they have shown me that a leopard can change its spots, that we can be something different and better. He's even met with the brothers since the kidnapping to speak with them. I have to say about all of that, like, that is very, very big of him. He, that is his own choice, and I'm not going to judge him for that because he understands his journey better than anybody else, but I think it's very, very big of him that he has been able to forgive them. I don't blame anyone who hasn't been able to forgive them because I wouldn't. No, I completely agree. It's not for anyone but yourself to say how you're supposed to feel about a given situation and based on his experiences. And honestly, I think um, probably achieving a level of inner peace. Yes, 100%. That he's able to forgive them and like speak with them because I agree with you, Dina. I don't think that I would ever forgive them for this. And if those were my kids... In a situation like that, I don't think you could ever forgive them for that either. Absolutely. You'd be like, lock them up forever. And that's and that was where I was at reading like about all of this. And and honestly, I'm I'm not gonna lie, my thought is it it is very complicated. Yeah, because uh Linda Carejo Lavendaria um had uh quite the opposite opinion of Larry about the whole situation. She had no desire to speak with Fred Woods or have any messages relayed on her behalf. She's rightfully angry about how things turned out, and when asked how she felt, she said she had a message for not Fred, but for the people. She said, How long is enough of a time for a criminal to serve for kidnapping your children or your grandchildren? Which is 
absolutely a valid point. Um, but we want to know what you guys think. Do you think they deserve life in prison with no parole? Or do you think that given the time served, you know, they had done their bit and that it was right to release them? As always, we love to hear your thoughts. So let us know either wherever you're listening in the comments, if you can, or send us an email to thegrimcurriculum at gmail.com. And that, friends, is the story of the 1976 Chowchilla school bus kidnapping. That was seriously one of the wilder ones that we've covered. Right? Right? It's it's crazy. <sighs> At the end of the day, the fact that no one died here is honestly a miracle. There are so many different ways that this could have gone even worse. And this was a crime of pure greed and a total lack of care of anyone but themselves and their wallets and Ferraris. Like, they, <laughs> they just make me so mad. That's the thing is, I don't think, well, I don't think anything truly justifies this kind of situation at all. But the fact that they were just a bunch of spoiled rich kids that were like, yeah, we need money. Let's traumatize 27 human beings for the rest of their lives. It does not surprise me that Fred Woods was considered a sociopath. Because I think you'd have to be to do this to some kids like that. The selfishness of this is... I hope, hard for all of us to understand. I know we said last week that we were covering a favorite of mine for the next episode, but we had a change of plans because Charlotte has found us another killer lady that we have to cover. Yes, we will come back to Dina's initial choice for next week at some point. Yeah. But this one kind of caught my attention and I was like, hey, Dina, what do you think? This is why I hate saying like, oh, this series is going to be this many episodes or this is what we're covering next. Because almost every time I do, something happens. Oh, absolutely. And we know you guys seem to really uh, get into the Killer Ladies episodes. So here's another one for you. Yeah. And super quick, we apologize for the late release of this episode. Like we said, my sweet, loved Rainbow Chicken, he's been under the weather, and I've been dealing with vet stuff, as well as medicating a parrot. Which I can't even, I would not (laughs) want to take on that task. I am not jelly at all. (laughs) So yeah, writing has been a little delayed, but next week we're going to be back on track, and he is doing well. Yay, yay Mango. Feel better, Mm -hmm. little chicken. We will also have some new merch in our store, probably by the time you're listening. So go check that out. It's a great way to support the podcast. So is our Patreon. A huge shout out to our Grim VIPs and up. Thank you to Brian, Mudkip, Johnny, Hillary, Kevin, Bob, Lisa, and Pink Flamingo 20. Woo! And don't forget, you can get access to a ton of fun content, early episode reveals, our Discord, and more by joining our Patreon for as little as $3 a month. To keep up with the latest Grim Curriculum news, make sure you follow us on all the social media platforms. We'll be linking all of our personal stuff down below, too. Thanks for listening. This has been The The Grim Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. And a fun fact for the week is anthrax can be buried for hundreds of years and then reinfect people when the soil is disturbed. So think of that next time you go outside and start touching grass. Oh my god. I don't like it. No, me either. No, stay away from it. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.